Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Good to be with you. Good to see all of your smiling faces uh, this morning. Jeff, good. you look so dignified compared to last night having Shabbat dinner. Uh, so, wow, you dress up good. <laughs> I, that, that's what they say about you. <laughs> they also say you can dress them up, but you can't take them anywhere. <laughs> We had a lovely uh, Shabbat uh, dinner with Jeff and Andre last night, and it uh, really uh, meant a lot to me. I, is Valerie here? Okay, because I had asked Valerie in communicating. I said, you know, can you arrange with uh, Rabbi Howard and his wife a uh, Shabbat dinner? And, and uh, that was just really beautiful. Uh, it's hard not to have a lovely Shabbat, and I really enjoyed, really enjoyed that, and and fellowship, and following Howard, and being together over all these years, uh, and now we can actually say that all these years, uh, time has gone, uh, and just the, the Lord is good, you know, that that's what we find, you know, I wanted to be here almost two and a half years ago, uh, but COVID shut it down, and this is my first uh, trip, you know, traveling and visiting congregations and churches in Ohio and Kentucky and reuniting with friends uh, and uh, churches and folks who support us. So that's been a blessing. I didn't know at one point that this trip would happen uh, after canceling it a couple of times because of COVID uh, restrictions and concerns. So I, I really praise the Lord for being here. I really say Baruch Hashem. Um, and uh, I am uh, ministering the good news of Yeshua to our people. When I came to faith uh, back in 1970, I was impressed that I had to tell my Jewish people the mishpucha, or as you say, um, mishpucha. In Israel, we say mishpacha, but mishpucha. I had to tell the mishpucha, my family, about the good news that the Messiah has come, and his name is Yeshua. Um, growing up in uh, the Bronx, that's a little town on the East Coast, um, we have a baseball team uh, where I grew up uh, called the New York Yankees. You know, my grandfather would say, oh, the Yankees, the Yankees, the Yankees, they're good. Yeah. Uh, and, but there, for all of the goodness of New York, we never heard a message about Yeshua. There was us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, the Goyim, and we didn't believe that, that there was no message that the Gentiles had to bring us in fact, we had to protect ourselves from the Gentiles and from the persecutions in the name of Jesus, um, not just historically all the ha things that happened, but even in my life. I remember getting beaten up because I was a Jew, a Christ killer. And, you know, the, the beating wasn't too bad. You know, my brother and I and friends, and when we roughed around, got much more violent. You know, we'd knock teeth out of each other. And, you know, so these kids, you know, I wanted to, tell them, hey guys, you know, if you're really going to beat me up, you know, you're going to have to step up your game. Uh, but I didn't think that wise to think, okay, if they think that's a beating, okay, maybe in their neighborhood. Uh, but there was five of them and me, you know, so. Uh, but that the impressions that, you know, why are these kids, why am I a Christ killer? How could I kill their God? You know, um, but the persecutions in the name of Jesus mounted up and you know, it was nothing I was interested in. But on the other side, God began working in my life, and I was seeking a right relationship with the Lord, with God. 
And in the tradition of the synagogue that I grew up in, I wasn't finding the answers. When I went to my grandfather and to the rabbi and, and said, I'm looking for truth, they said, eh, put that aside. Just be a good Jew. Do what you're supposed to. And that was it. And, and that wasn't enough instruction what I was seeking. And I began looking into Eastern religions and yoga and meditation and things that were popular in the late 60s, uh, finding truth, but also finding a lot of confusion. I was reading this book, massive book, called The Autobiography of a Guru. And I thought, this is a big book, must have something to say. And I'm reading about his adventures, his desire to draw close to God. And he, this uh, guru, he goes to a mountain and lives alone in silence for six years. And he said, I thought I heard the voice of God. And I closed the book. I said, if I have to do that to think I hear the voice of God, I'm not going to make this journey. And I kept looking. And a bunch of friends of mine, uh, Mitch Glazer and some others, we were studying at the uh, University of Bridgeport in Connecticut, uh, kind of this band of hippies. And, and we dropped out of school, traveled out to San Francisco to meet up with my brother and uh, another friend, Jan Moskowitz. And there we were urban pirates. We lived on a houseboat in San Francisco Bay, literally, and we fashioned ourselves as pirates. We would rob from the rich and give to the poor, us. <laughs> I thought that was a very convenient philosophy. Um, we would liberate lumber from the lumber yard, lumber yard to build our houseboat because the lumber, they were the capitalist imperialists and we were the, 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 the working class building our house. You know, I remember I liberated sandwich meat from a grocery store. You laugh, but that's what we thought we were doing. <laughs> uh, and uh, they had the nerve to arrest me uh, for liberating sandwich meat. You know, I wasn't robbing the cash register, you know. And uh, fortunately, the charges were dropped and... Uh, you know, have, uh, there's never been repercussions to that. But in the midst of this pirate lifestyle, urban pirates, Jewish urban pirates, you know, from New York, uh, I heard the message of Yeshua from one of our friends, one of our piratesses. Is that right, piratess? Is there a feminine for pirate? One of our piratesses left. She couldn't live with us anymore. She, she realized that this we were crazy. And... She found some people, told her about Yeshua. She came back. She said, Ephraim, I found what you're looking for. And she shared the good news with me. And I accepted Yeshua as the Messiah back in 1970. And then uh, shared with my brothers and friends and a whole group of us. It turned out we were all Jewish, came to believe in Yeshua. And my burden and the burden of my brothers, may he rest in peace, and others, was to bring this good news to our Jewish people. Uh, and we have been doing that. And we praise God for for that opportunity. In 1994, my wife and I had the chance to move with our two young sons to Israel uh, to pioneer a work there. Um, and we've been in Israel since. And uh, right now, I'm for the last, uh, hmm, since 2012, uh, so almost 10 years, been leading a fellowship, a congregation in uh, Western Galilee uh, called uh, Kehela Or Hagalil, a congregation, Light of Galilee. And I think that's pretty cool. You know, 
that we're in Galilee. And uh, remember the old song, some of you, um, you know, put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee. Well, I'm not the man from Galilee. I'm a man from Galilee. And I'm sharing the good news of Yeshua where he started. Uh, but one of the interesting phenomena is in Western Galilee, it's very multi, uh, I don't even want to say multi-ethnic, but it's Jews and Arabs, uh, Druzim, uh, immigrants uh, living together uh, in relative peace and harmony. You don't have the political strife that you have in Jerusalem and other parts. You don't have a Palestinian movement. The Arabs are Israeli citizens and really say they wouldn't want to be anywhere else. They wouldn't want to be part of a Palestinian state. Uh, we, we work together. We live together. And that's reflective of, of our congregation. And let me, voila, I don't know if you could see that well. Um, but this is our congregation um, made up of Jews and Arabs and uh, immigrants. And uh, this, uh, the picture to the, uh, your uh, left, ah, now, is um, the elder of a congregation, Pierre. Uh, his family are from Lebanon, and uh, they love Purim. <laughs> and so here he is dressed up as a, uh, as a Viking with, uh, you know, just I got such a kick. They just sent that to me when they had the Purim party uh, that, uh, you know, they, they, they're Lebanese, Arabs, living in Israel, celebrating Purim. Uh, uh, you know, just a beautiful testimony. And then there's a picture of the congregation uh, in uh, our sukkah a couple of years ago. And that particular evening, there must have been people from 10 different nations, part of our fellowship, gathered in the sukkah, and we sang songs of praise in four different languages. Uh, you know, it, th this is who we are and what we're trying to do. Uh, the other picture is some of the hills, Howard, uh, in Galilee, um, you could run up it, prepare me lunch, and as I walk up the hill, uh, we can fellowship together next time you're in Israel. Uh, but a beautiful place, a beautiful opportunity to, to bring the message of Yeshua to our people. Um, right now in Nahariya, our city is about 65,000 people. They're gearing up to um, receive uh, Jewish immigrants and refugees from the Ukraine. Uh, there may be several hundred, maybe more, but the city officials said that they'll be receiving. And our congregation, we're a small fellowship. We don't have a lot of resources. We're trying to figure out how we can help these folks. We're, we're one of the few congregations there. There's a larger Russian-speaking congregation we partner with. And I told folks on a Zoom call with the congregation two weeks ago, we may not have a lot of resources, but we know how to care for people. Most of us come as immigrants. A lot of people have lived through hardship, and we know how to love and receive people. God will provide the resources that the uh, refugees and uh, will need, um, but we want to be able to provide community fellowship and love to say welcome uh, to this place. It's going to be your home. And I'll ask you to pray for that. Um, and, uh, you know, I also want to say that I'm very proud of our Chosen People mission, as well as other ministries um, that are reaching out hands-on to the Ukrainian uh, refugees um, and so forth. Uh, we've sent 
several teams now to Germany and Poland to care for some of the refugees, particularly the Jewish refugees. And, you know, they're coming with children. Mostly it's women and children. And sometimes the children are, like, they'll take, they'll have a bunch of kids with one adult accompaniment, you know, because the, to get the kids out of the Ukraine, a trainer's available, the parents will let the kids go with one adult accompanying them, and then hope to meet up. So it's a real humanitarian crisis uh, that uh, grieves and breaks my heart as we see it. And you can keep that in prayer. Uh, Rabbi Howard mentioned the brochure. Keep it, tear off the section, turn it in. Uh, I need at least your ad name and ad, uh, email. My wife and I send out updates uh, about what's going on in our lives and ministry, and uh, you would, uh, you'll would you get a first-hand report of what life is in Naharia. But I came uh, to share more with you um, this morning, and uh, I want to give us kind of a new perspective on what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll explain in a moment, but to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you have to go to Psalm 1, because Sermon on the Mount begins, Blessed is the man, and Psalm 1 begins, Blessed is the man. That's no coincidence. Uh, Psalms was a guide to the Torah, to righteous living. You had the Torah telling you what to do, and the Psalms put it into practice. How do you live the Torah? Um, and the fact that it starts off, Ashrei uh, Ha'ish, blessed is the man, and Yeshua starts off his first sermon the same way. He's telling us to take our cue from Psalm 1, uh, the guide to righteous living. And Psalm 1 starts off, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, um, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all that he does he prospers. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I read both sections that you begin to see the similarities. We know there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon said that. And Yeshua's teaching about this was not going to be new, but it was going to be essential. And the first thing I want to say about the backgrounds is this was Yeshua's first uh, written or recorded sermon. Um, he may have given other sermons, uh, but Matthew is the first one to record, write down what Yeshua said. And there's a significance to first things in the Bible. Um, uh, and if you pay attention, somebody years ago, I think Pink, A.W. Pink wrote a book. He wrote all these books, like all the women in the Bible, all the foods in the Bible, all the first things in the Bible. Um, but there is a significance that when something is the first occurrence 
And I think there's a significance to the sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, again, I'm saying the location wasn't as important. It doesn't tell us it was Capernaum. It doesn't tell us that it was in, um, you know, Nazareth or someplace else. It says it was a mount, and Galilee means hills, you know, the rolling hills. So there's a lot of hills. And when you take your next trip to Israel, you'll look for the hill. And I always look for a hill or a place that doesn't have a church on it and say, that's the place for me. Um, but the content was what was important, not the location. Um, there also, if you read through the whole sermon, chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, it doesn't take more than 12 minutes to read that. Even if you read very slow, and the Lord said. Um, so it tells me that there was either more content that wasn't recorded in the scripture, and that's fine, um, but that wasn't, you know, you're not keeping an audience who's going to schlep out to the hills, sit down, feel comfortable. Remember, he had to, they had to get food for him. Um, so there was a lot more going on, but, but uh, Matthew chose to, to give us the essence of what Yeshua said. And now I get to some of the heart. One of the problems of the Sermon on the Mount is Christians over the centuries have taken this as a prescriptive way to live a social and ethical and moral life. And so they say it's a moral and ethical prescription, uh, which it is, but it's not just a prescription of follow this and you'll do good or do these things and uh, write me when you finish. Um, on the other side, there are Christians who say, this is about the kingdom, and we won't see this kind of righteous living until Yeshua returns and we're with him. Well, I think both teachings have something to it, but they miss the point. Uh, it's not just a guide to social living, how to be decent, and it's not just a hope for the future. Uh, it's something more. And when you go back to the opening of Psalm 1, he's telling us that as the people of God, the followers of Adonai, this is how you should be living. You should be living a righteous life because you love the Lord God with all of your heart and soul and mind. Um, if you put it into kind of modern day or New York sarcasm, uh, it would almost be, well, shouldn't you be doing that? You mean you don't live that way? What's wrong with you? Um, so it's not just a prescription. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, live this way. It's saying the godly person would do it. In some ways, they even say the Ten Commandments is written in the same way, the same voice. When he's saying, thou shalt uh, not kill, thou shalt honor your mother and father, people don't need to be told not to kill. People don't need to be told to honor their mother and father. People don't need to be told to keep the Shabbat. The Ten Commandments is almost written in the sense of, this is what you're doing, right? This is what godly people do. It's our way of life. Um, and that sets a very different tone uh, to things. Um, it's telling us, reminding us how we should be living. And so we'll look at a few verses from uh, the Psalm 1 and a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I shared this message in four parts with our congregation back uh, in January uh, and kind of boiled it down here um, for the essence. 
And he starts off, blessed is the man, Ashrei Ha'ish. Um, and uh, in our, our Bibles, in the New Testament, Matthew, sometimes it says blessing, sometimes it says happy. Um, but in Hebrew, there's two clear ways. Uh, the scripture is saying Ashrei, um, and the Hebrew word for happiness is Simcha, or as they say in America, Simchas, like Simchas Torah. Uh, it's in Hebrew, it's Simchat Torah. Uh, simcha is happiness. And as I say, happiness is an emotion. Happiness comes and goes. I'm happy. I'm so happy. Uh, but the word it's using, Ashrei, and there's two different Ashrei's, Hebrew lesson. One with an Aleph, which means this word, and the other with the letter Ayin, which has to do with wealth. So, Ish uh, Ashir uh, is a wealthy man. And the Bible has a whole teaching about wealth and blessing. But here it's with the Aleph, which is blessing, but blessing we know Baruch Hu. So it's not blessing, blessing. It has more the sense of contentment, but a godly contentment. You can't be blessed apart from God. You can't be blessed apart from knowing God. Uh, you could be happy under all different circumstances, and you might even be wealthy under different circumstances, but you're not going to be this, what they say, blessed. I prefer to talk about contentment, a godly contentment. And so he says, content is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's telling us that the godly man who's walking with God doesn't walk, stand, or sit with the ungodly people. He's telling us that the godly person is aware of his environment and who he's associating with. Walking uh, is uh, just the calm, the casual thing of going a distance with people. And he says, the people you're walking with uh, the wicked, you're not taking their advice. You know, so like you're waiting at the bus stop or you're walking along and you're talking to the people who are with you, uh, you're not taking their advice. Um, you can get a lot of bad advice at a gas pump or waiting in line uh, in uh, the convenience store. Um, you know, online, uh, part of these blogs, these hiker blogs and things, and people ask, like, advice, you know, like, I have this medical condition. I just had a triple bypass, and I take these medications. Do you think I'll be able to walk the uh, 150 miles from... Uh, and, and I always jump in and say, the first piece of advice is don't take advice from someone on the Internet. <laughs> um, and that's kind of this. You're walking with the people. They're wicked. People aren't believers, and we have to go with them. But you're not taking their advice. You're not getting their influence. Um, you're aware of your environment and who you're with. The second is you don't stand in the way of the sinners. Standing was a, a way that people would do business in ancient times. You know, you'd come to the city gate, and that's where the, the shopkeepers were. People had their stalls, and you would do uh, some business and haggling with them. Um, but he's saying you wouldn't, in a sense, make these permanent these relationships something that was your way, was your standard. You'd go, do the business you had, and leave, and not 
be influenced by the standards of those people. And then the third way is sitting. What do you, when do you sit in Middle Eastern culture and life? When you have a meal. When you're sitting and having a meal with someone, uh, he says, don't sit with people who mock God. Don't make that your habitation. So he's telling us, be aware of who you're around. You're a godly person. And if you are aware of who you're around and the advice and influence they're having on you, um, you will be able to do the walk of the Torah. When I was a kid, uh, my mother you know, was, didn't like my friends sometimes. Uh, she'd say, why don't you be a friend with Benji? You know, you know, he's a good kid, you know. And then when I got older, they had the Yiddish term for, for bums, you know, trumbenik. Uh, and my mother said, why do you spend time with those trumbeniks? They're no goodniks, you know. And those were the, my people. <laughs> and my mother had the wisdom there of hanging out with other people who were scoffers uh, and troublemakers had its influence on me. And in Israel, we teach even a seminar. I just saw one. They were teaching for teenagers this week of, um, you know, how not to be influenced by the people around you. And I, I think that is perhaps one of the biggest battlefields uh, today, spiritually, is uh, not just for the young people not to be influenced. There's so much influence coming at all different places, and society in America, particularly, is trying to change uh, the the influence. And the messaging, the messaging, um, and a lot of us are concerned. There's a new message coming out, new messages, and it's a matter of the influence. And here he's telling us, you're in the world, you're out with the people, you're walking with them, you're standing with them, and, and you're sitting with people, but you need to be careful of the influences uh, that you receive. Then he goes on um, and says... The godly person delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates day and night. Well, the word for meditate uh, is really, well, I, I should be careful because Ohio, some of you people may actually raise cattle. I know nothing about cattle. I can order a hamburger. I can order a steak, New York strip. It's my favorite. Um, but cows, it says about how cows eat their cud. Is that it? Cud? Is that what cows eat? I don't know. Uh, I don't eat cud. I don't eat the cow's cud, but it's, it tastes good in beef. Cows keep chewing on their food uh, and don't mean to upset anybody. And then they regurgitate, regurgitate. They give up the food they ate. A um, little song I learned in school. Uh, and they do this. Any of you cow farmers can, you know, cattle ranchers here can chip in. And so cows kind of go over their food slowly, uh, and processing it. And he says, the godly man delights, finds satisfaction in the word of God and thinking about it and meditating on it. Um, and that this is the characteristic. And the Psalms tells us a lot about the word of God and the joy that it brings to us. Um, you know, a lot of us have the practice, and I've tried to do this for well over 45 years, of read the scriptures in the morning. I stopped when it became routine, and I wasn't paying attention to it. Um, and then when I could got a time when I got back on track that, that I, I, I was able to concentrate on it. Some people have the beautiful habit of uh, they'll play 
Bible songs or, or they'll have the scriptures playing in their car or other places and hear it. Um, you know, some people wait till they go to bed at night so that the last thoughts that guide them into dream sleep would be the scriptures. Um, you know, we, uh, we kind of get away from that because of busyness of life uh, and the noise. One of the things I love about hiking is the solitude. I don't wear headphones or anything. I just like to hear nothing quiet. And it gives my chance, my brain, my befuddled brain, time to recycle. Um, and, and I hear from the Lord. And so many times, you know, the Holy Spirit will speak to me and say something or give me guidance or help me solve a, a thing. And, and I love that. Um, and I hear the word of God, you know, the scriptures coming back. Uh, and this is the characteristics of a believer. If we're, we're missing that and not delighting in it, then we need to reprogram, recycle ourselves, find the time. You know, years ago, my son, he was a teenager, he said, you know, Abba, you, you read the scriptures almost every day, and you've been doing this as long as I know you. He was about 25 then. He said, you know, doesn't it get boring or tiring? And I think those of us who have experienced the word of God say, no, it's new, it's different. The word of God I'm reading today is not what I was reading 25 years ago. I'm reading through Ezekiel now, and I'm saying, oh my God, where were those passages all my life? I've read Ezekiel uh, and seen passages that I had never seen before. That's the word of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Um, and we need to find that and capture that in our life. Uh, and then uh, the last part of Psalm 1 that we'll look at, he says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season. Um, obviously in Israel, anytime you talk about water uh, and fruit, it's important because we don't have an abundance of water. After April, the spigot is closed, there's no rain, uh, things dry out until water comes again in, after Sukkot. Um, and Israel did an interesting thing. They planted the forest around Jerusalem with a quick-growth pine tree. You know, they wanted to bring the hills back. Well, in 1996 or 8, the Jerusalem forest burned down in one day. It was I was in Jerusalem, and it was something out of the biblical proportions. The sky got dark, and there was uh, ashes in the air. And the, most of the whole Jerusalem forest burned down in one day. Why? Well, when the Jewish National Fund was planting, they planted a quick-growth Australian pine that was suitable to Australia where they had a lot of rain. So these pine trees didn't have roots, deep roots, that brought moisture into the trees. So this was uh, July. The rains had stopped, and the trees were dry and just lit up like tinder. Um, here he's talking about trees planted along the river edge with roots that are getting water to sustain them. And he says the man of God is a person who has roots, spiritual foundations in the Lord, and we're not going to be easily tricked or overcome. This is a guide to righteous living. Do we have roots in the Lord and in our faith that will withstand the trials and tribulations? And so this is the prescription that the psalmist gives as the introduction to a godly life, introduction to having contentment with God. 
being aware of the influences in our life. You know, and as I said, that's a big problem these days where we have so much influencing us. Um, being um, aware of the Word of God and letting it refresh us and having roots, spiritual roots, that will stand uh, the things that we face. And now we turn to Matthew where Yeshua is applying this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So this isn't something that we, we're going to reach out to and attain. If we're walking with the Lord, this is going to be characteristic of the life of a godly person. You don't start off saying, Lord, I want to be poor in spirit. Um, you start off saying, Lord, I want to love you with all my heart and soul. Um, when Yeshua talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about something in the future, that one day when you die in your heaven, you, you'll be humble. Uh, well, when you're in front of God, everybody's humble. <laughs> There's no proud, arrogant people standing before uh, the throne of God. And so he's saying the godly person who's watching the influence that comes to him, uh, that is embedded in the word of God, that has roots of faith, this person is going to be humble in spirit. Um, you don't take a training course of how to be humble. Um, you know, Moses was called the most humble man on earth, and yet he led, you know, well, almost, I believe, almost two million Jewish people. Uh, I don't know how you can do that and be quiet and shy, but that wasn't what humility was about. Humility, lowliness of spirit. Uh, at Yom Kippur, uh, we're not told to fast. We're told to humble our spirit, to lower ourselves, to and, and not even really afflict, but to humble our souls before God. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who live a life of, and the best word is humility. Um, humility before God, humility before men. Um, the attitude of humility is, I am who God made me, and I rejoice in that. I am who God made me, and I don't lord this over other people. I might be a, a leader, in the community, you might have leadership, you might have other responsibilities, you're a parent. Some of that goes along with responsibility and giving instruction to people, but it's in humility. It's, I know who I am, I don't need to elevate myself. Um, I came to the realization a few years back, there were some godly men who were mentors to me, and they didn't put themselves forward in front of other people. Some of you have heard the name Rachmel Friedland who had influence in this congregation. Uh, he was one of them. Uh, Louis Goldberg was another uh, man. And, and I looked at these men and said, you know, they had the potential to be, quote, believer rock stars, you know, like really famous, you know, like Joel Olstein and some of these other great TV guys. You know, the other day I saw Jim Baker still on TV. God bless him. And I saw these men, great men, uh, I was at Asbury Seminary this week, and I had uh, lunch with, with um, uh, one of the Hebrew professors, a, a well-known author, uh, very, well, I mean, an incredible scholar. And I said, this guy was so humble. He was actually letting me talk to him about the Hebrew text. You know? And I knew that was just pure humility on his part. Uh, and I realized, these humble men, when, when I get to heaven, we're gonna be ser I'm going to be serving them. They're choosing to get their honor and they're, they're, when they're with the Lord and not take it now. And I realize in some ways we have a choice. Do I want it now, the honor 
and respect of men, people, or will I take a, a, a back position, a quieter position, and receive the glory when I'm with the Lord? Um, and, you know, I'm not one of those humble men in that sense. You know, grew up in a generation of, you got to be out there, you got to be spoken, you know, you got to let your joke be laughed at when you're sitting with people. Um, but he says the poor in spirit. It doesn't mean you don't have resources. That's why I don't like the word poor. Um, it has to do with humility and having your spirit in check of knowing who you are before the Lord um, in regard to men and in regard to God. A humble man doesn't get noticed when he walks in a room. Um, but when you're sitting and needing prayer, when you're sitting and needing wisdom, uh, it's the humble man who's alongside you. You fall in the ditch, it's the humble man who comes into the mud and picks you up. The next one he gives is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. People mourn for different reasons. For, for death, for the loss of precious possessions, for pain that they have. Um, we all experience mourning at different times in our life. I, I was not sensitive to the scope of mourning. I was working with a, young, a woman, we were all young men, probably 20, 25 years ago, and her dog died. Um, and all week she was crying. She'd come to work and she'd be crying. And, you know, I'm not a dog animal guy. Um, and it was almost annoying to me. You know, like, it's just a dog. Well, to people who love animals, a dog, it's not just a dog. That's the absolute worst thing you could say. No, it's just your grandfather died. You know, he was an old guy. You know, get, get over it. You know, and I learned and to have more sympathy and compassion for people when they're mourning. Uh, it's not up to me to determine is it legitimate mourning or not. Uh, I know in Kentucky, when they got knocked out of the uh, March Madness this month, you know, people were like, oh, you know, so sad. And I've lived in Kentucky a little bit and know that leave them alone. The Wildcats are out. Louisville's not anywhere. University of Cincinnati is not anywhere, Ohio State, I don't know about them. They'll get over it. But there's suffering around us, and there's suffering in the world, um, and we all come into contact with mourning. Um, right now, I personally, like many others, are grieving over what's happening in uh, the Ukraine. The fact that in, in modern industrialized society, Russians are murdering you know, people there as civilians and just terrorizing them. And, and, and I'm walking around with a cloud over my head, uh, grieving for them, um, because I know the inhumanity to man that as Jews we've suffered. And I know the inhumanity to man that we've suffered in the Holocaust in face of a world that didn't care, face of a world that didn't show us compassion. Um, and, and I know that pain for my family. And as I've grown up to learn about the Holocaust, I, I, I carry that. And living in Israel... We could be abandoned in a moment and attacked by the nations. Uh, and uh, all we will have is our own resources to fight. Of course, for Israel, we have God watching over us. But I walk around with this cloud of mourning. Um, also, the people I know who've died from COVID-19, um, you know, good friends who we parted with, as I say, a little too soon. Um, and so we deal with mourning. But it's not just mourning my own personal loss. But it's morning that we live in a world encased in sin. We live in a world that brings suffering upon itself because of the refusal to accept the Lord. 
the refusal to acknowledge the Lord God as creator. We live in a world that insists on manipulating the, quote, natural order of things for their convenience or what seems to be good and only brings more trouble. Um, Sometimes these days I confess it's hard for me to be cheerful. There's just so much burden upon burden upon burden. And uh, my wife makes makes fun of me. She has an imitation of my sad face. <laughs> uh, oh, she's back in Pennsylvania. I'll be, be seeing her this week. Um, you know, last night, Jeff, how when we sat and having dinner and we're telling jokes, uh, it's like, oh, that's so nice. I had breakfast with the pastor the other day, and he was telling jokes and making fun, and it lifted my spirit. But these are heavy times. It's very hard to find uh, relief anywhere. Um, it's a crazy world. You know, people are being murdered and massacred in the Ukraine. Uh, COVID is spiking again in Israel. And what's the big news in America? Uh, uh, Will Smith smacked Chris Rock in the face. And, and, and I, I, this news keeps repeating and repeating like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, that's a comic relief. You know, two comedians, you know, you know, and they probably know each other, probably friendly, you know, one guy smacking the other. And, okay, that's news. Uh, you know, it's a good relief. But I don't know why it's, it's capturing the news, you know, when there's so much real things that people need to be concerned. But the godly person mourns. He sees the loss and the death in the world. Uh, a godly person keeps his heart sensitive. Uh, there was a song by uh, Jackson Brown that I heard a couple of years ago, and he said, you know, there's so much hardship and suffering going on, we keep, we lose count. And I thought about that. That's true. You know, it gets off the agenda. Um, we live in Naharia, which is uh, six miles from the Lebanese border, and we're about you know, 40 miles, 45 miles from Syria. And during the Syrian civil war, uh, in our congregation and people in the area prayed because Hundreds of thousands of Syrians were being killed. Millions of people displaced. Uh, ISIS was chopping the heads off of Christians and other um, and Muslims. And I said, how could we live so close to such tragedy? And we prayed. Um, the Syrian civil war barely ended now. The country's destroyed. You don't hear a word of it. I, I imagine even if you Googled what's the situation of Syria, it would be down the list. And it's what kind of world that we, we forget and we move on. We're talking about the Ukraine. I guarantee you uh, in a few more weeks, the world's going to be tired of it. In the meantime, almost 4 million people have fled to Poland, Germany, Hungary, uh, Israel. Uh, America is going to take in a hundred, like 100,000 refugees, uh, millions of people's lives. But the godly person is tuned in to the suffering and the needs of the world and will receive the comfort. And the comfort that is needed is from Isaiah 40. Nachamu, nachamu et ami. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. The words of the prophet. My people have received double for their iniquity and comfort them. Um, when people think of Israel, they think of us as the apartheid state. And people are condemning us again. But we're a people needing the comfort of God. Friends and neighbors, people you know, people who are not walking with the Lord, need the comfort of the Lord. And this, this is what Yeshua is talking about. And quickly, the next one is, Blessed are the meek, uh, for they shall 
inherit. A meek person is a person very similar to the humility, knows himself and keeps himself, um, doesn't seek for his own well-being, but that person, God is going to give them the inheritance. Uh, to the person poor of circumstance, trusting the Lord, God's going to give him that circumstance, um, and, and that's going to be their joy and their strength. And to wrap, wrap it up a bit, this was Yeshua's first message, and he's reminding us about the key to godly living. It's not a goals that you have to attain. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset of walking with God, of being humble in our life circumstance, of having roots in the word of God and things that will nurture us. Um, humility, mourning, compassion is what God calls us to. Um, and, you know, this is my hope and prayer for us uh, as we consider uh, the Lord. Um, during the, uh, probably during the uh, Oneg time, will there be time for questions or is everybody, you know, yeah, you know, while you're munching a bagel, you know, uh, you might have questions about uh, things for Israel, but, but this is the key to, to a godly life that we need to strive for. Um, and I ask prayer for us in Israel, uh, not just our congregation, uh, but there's supposed to be thousands of uh, Ukrainian immigrants coming um, and uh, to care for them. But my congregation, we're hoping that we can care, really care for these people and bring them into uh, a new place. Some of them will be believers in Yeshua, looking for fellowship. Um, uh, and I ask prayer for that. We really don't know how this will end. Uh, I ask prayer uh, this week in Israel, 11 civilians were killed in a new wave of terror attacks. One of the, they went to a neighborhood where I had spent a lot of time, a man with a machine gun, and just was looking for people to kill civilians. Um, and we pray for an end to this. Um, I'm aware from Palestinian friends of the suffering they have and praying for God to have their peace upon them. So may God bless us in this season as we look to Pesach, as we look to the message of redemption, and uh, may he fill us with his spirit. Can I have a word of prayer? Avinu Malkenum, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for this Shabbat and that we can gather together to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, as people who love you, may we follow your way. May we know the contentment, the richness that comes from walking with Yeshua. May you give us wisdom uh, as we don't receive the influence of those who mock you and scorn you and don't walk the way. May you give us the wisdom and strength as we raise up young people and children and that they will learn to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind. And Father, may we be the ones raising the banner for the needy, raising the banner for those in conflict, raising the banner for people who can't help themselves. May we be the ones on the wall, the wall crying out to you, Father of the goodness of Yeshua, for I ask it in his name. Amen. Shabbat shalom, and thank you.